You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with a brutal murder mystery near Whistler tonight involving a well-known artist in the area. RCMP confirming 71-year-old Zub Elward was murdered last weekend. And Catherine Urquhart now with more on the victim and what may have led to his death. Zub Elward was a well-known artist in B.C. Now he's at the center of a disturbing kidnapping and murder. It was such a tragic way for a very special person to die. Aylward is best known for designing Whistler's Mushroom House, a 25-year project. After selling it in 2007 for a reported $3.5 million, he relocated to Seton Portage near Lillooet. On Saturday, the 71-year-old's body was found on a remote rural road. I do know that the Lillooet Detachment, along with the Southeast District Major Crime Unit and the Forensic Identification Services, have been involved. Sources have told Global News Aylward was targeted in a home invasion-style robbery Friday. It's believed he was kidnapped, his wife tied up. She managed to escape, and friends say she's under police protection, although the RCMP won't confirm this. At this point, the RCMP have no reason to believe that uh, the greater public is at further risk, and they believe this to be an isolated incident. Despite assurances, Aylward's neighbours are terrified. The artist was well known to grow marijuana, but it's unclear if that played a role in his murder. Zub was a legend. This man built houses, giant timbers, rocks and creativity like no one else. Police won't say if they have any suspects in Zub Aylward's murder, nor will they confirm reports they may have seized a vehicle connected to the crime. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And now, just hours before marijuana is to be legalized in this country, there's a chance if you order it online, you won't get it in a timely manner. Sarah McDonald joins us now with breaking details of possible job action by Canada Post, which would do all those deliveries. Sarah. Well, Chris, talk about timing and a last-minute curveball on the eve of legalization right across the country. Canada Post workers are now set to strike, a move that is likely strategic and one that will likely have an impact on many people's plans to buy pot legally. The Canadian Union of Postal Workers, representing some 50,000 employees, issued a strike notice this afternoon warning they could walk off the job as early as Monday. Now, if that does happen, the timing is certainly in the union's favour because, as we know, with the exception of that single dispensary in Canada, Loops, all legal marijuana sales beginning tomorrow will be happening online and shipped solely through Canada Post. That looming strike is also expected to have an impact on the proportional representation referendum, which of course involves mail-in ballots. We ran this latest development by Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. Here's what he had to say. This is uh, uh, just a, a notice that has been served. Uh, we have seen this numerous times in, in previous years, during previous negotiations, and that negotiations do, uh, you know, usually end up with a, a contract in place. And so uh, the Elf, uh, Liquor Control and Cannabis uh, branch is reaching out to Canada Post uh, to get a better understanding of what's involved uh, and what they mean by and what they're looking at in terms of rotating, uh, rotating strikes. Well, it certainly is an opportunistic time to threaten job action and uh, obviously to pressure Canada Post into bargaining. What's their uh, reaction to this move by the union? 
Well, that's for sure. And for its part, Canada Post says it has made significant offers to its union. It insists it will remain operational even if its workers go on strike, something, Chris, the union says will happen early Monday if a deal is not reached over the weekend. All right, we'll be watching this over the coming days. That's uh, Sarah McDonald for us in Burnaby. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Now, delivery aside, there are still many questions tonight and confusion when it comes to legalized pot. For example, the do's and don'ts around flying with it. Tanya Beja has more on what you need to know to be prepared. Tanya. YVR is calling on travelers headed abroad to leave their cannabis at home. Even after the laws change tomorrow, it remains illegal to carry marijuana across international borders. The risk is that if you board a plane carrying pot, you could be sent home once you arrive at your destination. Now, U.S.-bound travelers normally clear customs here in Vancouver. Once they pass that point, they are considered to be in the U.S., so they can't have pot with them at that stage either. As for domestic travelers, they can take up to 30 grams of marijuana with them on domestic flights, although it's unclear how that limit will be enforced. CATSA is not in the business of searching for recreational drugs. That's not what they're here for. They're here for screening of security items. YVR says that marijuana users can smoke or vape outside, but only in designated areas. Back to you. All right, thanks for that, Tanya Beja at YVR. Now, it appears the biggest issue in the U.S. decriminalization model so far is the schism between states that voted to legalize and the U.S. federal government, which still considers possession to be criminal. It creates a lot of confusion at the border, and as Paul Johnson reports, a lot of trouble for Canadians. If you think pot smokers can be confused... Just try and get your head around the rules about marijuana for Canadians traveling to the U.S. Now there's a buzzkill. Good people don't smoke marijuana. Though a handful of states have decriminalized pot, President Trump and his Attorney General Jeff Sessions have held the line. As far as the federal government is concerned, pot stays in the same category as cocaine and heroin. So don't even think about taking it across the border and think twice about admitting to being a user. I feel like I'm being treated as a criminal. Jessica Goldstein is one of those Canadians burned by the border confusion, handed a lifetime ban on traveling to the U.S. because she admitted to an American border guard that she'd smoked pot in Canada. I was questioned for six hours. But in a surprise move last week, Washington, D.C. backed off a bit telling border guards that Canadians who work in our new pot industry are allowed into the U.S., provided their trip is not work-related. So while this change gives some certainty to people who work in the marijuana industry, it still leaves marijuana smokers kind of in limbo. This new directive gives a lot of discretion to individual U.S. border guards. And legal experts say, until we know how they're interpreting this, if you smoke pot, it's best that you don't answer any questions about that when crossing into the U.S. My guess is, is that they're going to be okay, but do you want to be the first person who tries that out? Len Saunders is the Blaine lawyer who's built a cottage industry helping Canadians slapped with lifetime bans. And for the time being, his advice about entering the U.S. is simple. If you like your spliff, take the fifth. Paul Johnson, Global News.
The province introducing a speculation and vacancy tax today. The intended effect is to improve housing affordability, whether you're renting or buying. Keith Baldry breaks down how the tax will be calculated and who is exempt. Introduction of bills. Minister of Finance. Finally, eight months after it was first announced, the speculation tax is closer to becoming law. Bill number 45. Officially called the Speculation and Vacancy Tax, it's aimed at helping to cool down the housing market in key urban areas in B.C. Mr. Speaker, our province is facing a housing crisis that's hurting people, communities and our economy. Here's where the tax, set at 0.5% of the assessed value of a secondary and vacant home, will take effect. Metro Vancouver, Abbotsford, Chilliwack and Mission, the Capital Region, Kelowna, West Kelowna, Nanaimo and Lanceville on Vancouver Island. We have a responsibility to act, to make sure that people can afford a home in the communities where they live and work. The speculation and vacancy tax is a critical piece if we want to moderate our overheated housing market. But there are exemptions to the tax, and they include principal residences, rented properties that are rented at least six months a year, medical absences from a principal residence, spouses who live in separate residences because of their work, property being developed or renovated, and damaged property. But even with those exemptions, the opposition condemned the new tax as simply a money grab that does nothing to lower housing prices. Let's reduce the supply of housing. Let's put people out of work. Let's go against the will of all the mayors in British Columbia, all because of an ideological commitment to penalize people who want retirement homes. It has nothing to do with speculation. No vacancies available for tenants, no houses available for people to address. We are addressing it. Is it going to be easy? No. Are we going to fix the mess that you left overnight? No, but we're going to get started because people deserve that in British Columbia. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now live. And, of course, uh, housing is going to play out in the municipal election this weekend. Uh, we'll leave that where it is right now. But let's talk about what the government also introduced uh, mm -hmm. today. And that was the elimination of the medical services plan premiums and the introduction of the employer health tax. Somebody's got to pay for our health care, right? Yeah, this is it. This is Bill 44, the Employer's Health Tax Act. In fact, I think this, this is going to replace the medical service premiums. They're going to be phased out. This one will take effect, this new tax, starting January 1st, 2019. And I think over time, I think this is going to prove to be more controversial than the speculation tax. If Carol James is correct and 99% of British Columbians do not pay the speculation tax, I can tell you a heck of a lot more than that will be affected by an employer's tax that is going to capture all sorts of companies based on their payroll. This thing is just getting started in terms of a public debate. All right, we'll see how it all goes down. Thanks, Keith. Right. The BC Teachers Union scoring a major victory today. It won a grievance against the province's school boards for failing to hire enough teachers to meet class size and composition rules brought back in a 2016 Supreme Court ruling. Grace Key has more on the decision and what it will mean for students going forward. Suffix ED. Students needing extra support should be getting more attention thanks to a BC Teachers Federation victory. School districts can no longer use librarians, counselors, and other special education teachers to fill in when classroom teachers are absent. We do have some information from larger school districts that we're talking not just hundreds of hours, but thousands of specialist hours that didn't. Um, get delivered to students last year because the teachers involved were reassigned. 
There was a shortage of substitute teachers after many took on full-time jobs created from a Supreme Court ruling that restored language around class size and composition. In this recent decision, the arbitrator states, by reassigning librarians and failing to replace them, the employer prevented the minimum staffing ratios required, adding the reassignments were not emergency situations. The education minister says they are reviewing the decision, adding most districts are at regular staffing levels. Basically, the province has allocated the money to hire more teachers. They have hired 3,700 teachers and then some. And a lot of districts are reporting that they have substitute teachers this year in, in far greater numbers than they did the year before. It will be up to the district's union and employer to work these issues out at the bargaining table, but the BCTF says a long-term solution is needed to fulfill vacancies. Yes, of course. The biggest problem we have right now is that we just don't have enough people, period. And so we need to have a more coordinated and supported plan to get people to come west of the Rockies, accept jobs here, and stay here for the long haul. The arbitration dealt with the Chilliwack School District, but the BCTF says the decision will provide guidance for resolving similar issues with other districts. Grace Key, Global News. And if there wasn't a shortage of VSB employees before, QP is giving its members the opportunity to book off their regular full-time jobs to help elect the candidates it has endorsed in the civic election. Well, the offer isn't illegal, but other candidates don't like it. And even Kennedy Stewart, who stands to benefit, is open to a review. The spirit of the law, um, or the new rules, is to get big money and corporate unions out of you know, elections. And clearly these rules aren't working and QP has found a way to bypass those rules. I have total faith in Elections BC. Like they're one of the top electoral organizations in the whole world. Uh, they're on top of this. They're clarifying. They're initiating statements to say what's good, what's okay and what's not, not okay. But then we'll have a review after the election. Uh, Minister Selena Robinson has already said that we would, uh, she'd be reviewing the electoral law. It's a new law, so it takes a little while for people to get used to it. And I fully support that review process and would participate in it if asked. An audio recording of a conversation between murder suspect William Schneider and police was released in court today, and it gives some insight into what jurors will consider during deliberations. Ramina Dea was there and has more from the recording and what happens next. Ramina. Chris, in the first exchange, Constable Woodcock, Officer 1, testified. The accused, William Schneider, made a gesture like this, covering his nose and mouth when he explained what happened to Natsumi Kagawa. How did she die, William? Pardon? How did she die? I actually don't know if she died, if her heart went or if it was her breath. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I actually wasn't certain that she passed when she, at the moment she did. It was five minutes later. I'd stepped out for, or gone out of the tent for a smoke, and then, oh my God. I didn't think she was at that time. I didn't think so. I, yeah, I, th I thought that maybe, that her heart, do you know, I mean, do you know, was it her heart or was it her breath? Crown's evidence, Schneider intentionally killed Kagawa when he smothered her with his hands. Defense highly critical. The police never videotaped this interview, suggesting no gesture was ever made. In this second exchange, Crown contends Schneider confessed. You're a stand-up guy in relation to at least you're taking responsibility. Okay. And you're actually showing remorse, will you? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's genuine. 
and it's been and the reason I say that is because it's been from day one to now right but it is it's my fault we can't undo that one Defense says there was no confession. Yes, Schneider admitted to putting Kagawa's body in a suitcase, but there's no DNA evidence linking him to her death, and a cause of death has never been determined. It's tough to say when a verdict could come down. It could be hours, it could be days. Chris. Thanks, Romina. The shifting balance of voting power in Vancouver as we head into this weekend's civic election. The once dominant west side of the city is seeing its influence at the polls shrinking. Nadia Stewart now on why East Vancouver is in control now. As election day approaches, many in Carisdale vow to make their voices heard on October 20th. I'm just concerned generally about the way this city is moving in a certain direction. A direction soon to be sent by residents in this evolving city. Carisdale, one of many neighborhoods on Vancouver's west side where the demographics are shifting. One generation aging out, another slowly moving in. The demographics have changed a lot. Our neighborhood is changing too. And whether we like that or not, that is just the reality. That reality underscored by new numbers showing just how much that shift could affect Saturday's vote. So you kind of see these shifts that really, I think, mark a change in how we've kind of historically thought of elections and those who are running in those elections. The tipping of the balance of power began around 2006. NBA's stronghold on Vancouver's west side began declining as demographics began changing. Meanwhile, there's been dramatic growth in downtown Vancouver, an area that eventually became a stronghold for Vision Vancouver. You see downtown go up by 57% in terms of the number of voters living in downtown Vancouver. But then also, at the same time, when, when we look at, say, the neighborhood of Shaughnessy, we actually find that about 15% of that population has actually, of, of voters actually moved out. Yen attributes the shift to demography, affordability and development. While COPE and the NPA dominated the city's political landscape for nearly 70 years, this time around we've seen the rise of independent candidates and smaller parties, making for a more crowded race in Vancouver and beyond. Yan says the shift points to the need to protect our democratic institutions. That their foundations are well built in terms of education, in terms of being people aware that our democracy only runs when people participate. We need to make sure that our democratic institutions don't become leaky condos. Nadia Struck, Global News. Well, you'd be hard-pressed to find a city with more tumultuous civic politics over the past few years than Nanaimo. As Kylie Stanton reports, both voters and politicians are hoping for a new start and a council that can deal with some very big city problems. Discover the heart of Vancouver Island. It's known as the Harbour City. 90,000 people call Nanaimo home. But what it lacks in size, it makes up for in drama. Oh my goodness, it was a mess. Bit of like a dysfunctional family in a way, you know? <laughs> Please, can we have some order here? Oh my God. Okay. What went down here at City Hall over the past term has garnered national attention. You are the biggest bully I've ever met under a little sheep's clothing. Infighting legal threats, RCMP investigations, even an appeal to the province to intervene. There was a majority formed on council and the rest is history. The mayor's leadership was challenged from early on. A lawsuit was brought against him, which was later withdrawn. Then there was the arrest of the city's former chief administrative officer for allegedly uttering threats. The mayor now saying he's more than ready to move on. I believe it's, uh, it's time for me to 
to look at new adventures. But Nanaimo's issues extend far beyond City Hall. In the four years mayor and council were struggling to govern, the area was discovered. Mainlanders cashing out, buying here, and driving up the housing prices. And soon, the rental market followed. We used to be able to find something in the $750 range. That is almost unheard of now. It's just ballooned into this big crisis for people. So we see what we see with Tent City down there. We're going to have to uh, make more space. At its peak, the more than 300 people here easily made this encampment the largest in Canada. It's now in the process of being dismantled as modular housing units become available. We knew this was coming and we haven't prepared. It will be just one item on the new mayor and council's agenda, but optimism is high. Many believe things couldn't possibly get any worse. It's a new start, uh, lessons learned. I don't think that's going to be perfect, but I think they'll be able to do a lot. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Nanaimo. And you can find out what Nanaimo's current mayoral candidates think about the issues on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. Police have caught up with a BC man caught on camera jumping naked into a shark tank at a Toronto aquarium. Ontario Provincial Police confirming the arrest of 37-year-old David Weaver. Weaver also wanted for an alleged assault on a man outside the medieval Times attraction just hours before his impromptu swim on Friday night. It's not clear exactly where or when the arrest occurred. Well, with upwards of a half billion dollars going into fighting BC wildfires this past year, the growing number of people, a growing number of people rather, believe our fire prevention strategy must change. Experts came together at UBC Okanagan to discuss preventing fires by using, among other things, fire. Our reporters from Global Okanagan. So is this the new normal? Should we expect more fire seasons? like 2017 and 2018. That's the burning question around BC and here at this discussion organized by UBC Okanagan, where fire risk, fuel mitigation and wildfire policy were the hot topics. So you can do kind of a thinning, thin from below. Experts say policymakers and communities around the world are grappling with solutions. There's nobody immune that there is really risk everywhere. When wildfire is an annual threat, some countries have rethought community participation in the mitigation process. You go to a lot of Australian communities, the way they build their houses, their landscaping, all that stuff is much better. And I think it's just because they start thinking about that personal link. Prescribed burns, flames to fight flames, it's an idea the panelists would like to see more of, a practice that First Nations communities are familiar with. It was for many purposes, whether it was for wildlife, enhancing vegetation for plants or medicinal uses, uh, access was a, a big thing as well. Those who manage our forests also believe fighting fire with fire is crucial. The reality is, is we need to have more fire in the landscape to, to prevent these bigger, massive, catastrophic events from occurring in the future. Contractors say the province needs to budget more for fire prevention. Are we investing enough now? No, we're not. We need to invest more and we need to commit to this long term. While the province committed to a vast wildland fire management strategy in 2010, recent record fire years may indicate something needs to change. Doris Maria Bregalisi, Global News. A bridge in 
Kingsland, Texas, loses its battle against raging floodwaters. This river rose more than six meters between midnight and 6 a.m. A state of emergency has been declared for 18 counties affected by the heavy rain that triggered major flooding along several rivers and creeks. Evacuations and water rescues continue in the area. While its intensity has lessened, rain remains the forecast in central Texas for the next several days. Donald Trump once again showing a lack of decorum in his ongoing feud with a woman who says they had an affair. This time, the president using a crude insult to refer to Stormy Daniels, who had just lost a court battle against him. From the president, a triumphant tweet with a gratuitous insult after learning a defamation lawsuit filed against him by porn star Stormy Daniels has been dismissed. Great, he wrote. Now I can go after Horseface and her third-rate lawyer. Daniels, deriding the president, responded, Game on, tiny, tweeting about his hatred of women and lack of self-control on Twitter again. For the president, horseface is just the latest insult aimed at the looks of women he doesn't like. Take his 2016 opponent, Carly Fiorina. Look at that face, then-candidate Trump commented. Would anyone vote for that? I'm not going to spend a single cycle wondering what Donald Trump means. On former Miss Universe Alicia Machado. She gained a massive amount of weight. And uh, it was it was a real problem. There was this about Jessica Leeds, who accused him of sexual assault. Yeah, I'm going to go after. Believe me, she would not be my first choice that I can tell. <laughs> and this about Megyn Kelly after a testy debate exchange. You could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. Women, do we love women? Women. But now, three weeks from the midterms, the latest polling shows more than half of all women strongly disapprove of the president. Women who previously voted Republican just aren't going to do it this midterm cycle, and they might not do it ever again in their lifetimes. In Health Matters tonight, weight loss surgery could reduce the threat of heart problems for people who have type 2 diabetes and are severely obese. The American study found those who had the surgery were 40% less likely to have a heart attack or stroke within five years. The study also found they were less likely to develop heart disease or die prematurely. Ridge Meadows RCMP are trying to track down a particularly heartless criminal who's robbed a special needs student of some freedom and fun. The thief broke in and stole a unique bike that 11-year-old Braden needs to play with his friends at school. Linda Ellsworth reports. On such a beautiful day, 11-year-old Braden would much rather be outside playing. But just now, that's not possible. I feel like I'm trapped inside. Like... I have nothing to do. We first met Brayden, who has cerebral palsy, four years ago when he was enduring painful physiotherapy sessions. He and his best friend Quinn were raising money so he could undergo surgery in the States that would help him walk. He's going to go for Brayden's physiotherapy and other things he needs in his life. The surgery helped, but he still deals with mobility issues. What he's wanted, needed, is an adaptive bicycle because he could just run free. He bugged me all the time. We've been trying for so long to get a bike for him. But at $5,000, it was out of the question. Until last month, when a used one became available through the Ridge Meadows Child Development Center. We were able to sell the bike to the family for $5, and 
Brayden was ecstatic about getting this bike. He hopped on it immediately and didn't want to get off it. It was, it was so hard to get him off that bike. I felt like I was playing on that, like having fun. But the very next day, he had to undergo yet another surgery, this time on his arm. The bike was locked up at his Maple Ridge Elementary School, where it was to wait for Braden's return. But last weekend, someone broke in and stole it. He just wants to be like every other kid out there. That's what he wants. He wants to just be able to go out there and play with everyone else, just like they do. But without his bike, it's going to be a lot more difficult to make that wish come true. Please help me find my bike. Please. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. All right, we've got to get Braden's bike back. If you have any information that can help us locate his bike, anything, you're asked to call Ridge Meadows RCMP or Crime Stoppers. And the Ridge Meadows Child Development Center will help him out as well. All right, now this. The robot dog that sometimes freaks people out, showing a little rhythm, too. That's coming up right after the forecast. Was that a twerk? It might have been. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't see. know. All right, let's check in with Christy Gordon now uh, for a look at our forecast down at beautiful English Bay tonight. Christy? Mm. Can you see the colors in the sky, you guys? The sun set about a half an hour ago, and it really is stunning down here. Now, uh, before the sun set, with the sun out there, it was just this golden color, especially with the colors in the trees, spectacular. And I tell you, people were packed down here, walking, running, biking, pretty nice time. I even went for a quick little walk myself. All right. It has been a good year for growing pumpkins. I talked to Sharon from the West Ham Island uh, pumpkin patch in, just near Ladner and she said, yes, it was definitely a good year. One of the best. And she said it was tricky to start, but with the warmth through the summer, things turned out nicely. This photo from the Lady Pumpkin Patch, Anne-Marie Neely sending us that one. You can see the gourds there as well as the pumpkins. Get out there this week, everyone, because it is good picking. And we talked about the fall walk yesterday and a lot of people got out there today and enjoyed the sunshine. It's great to see this one from Chilliwack. Irma Cade sending us that and another spectacular one from Trevor Batstone from Pitt Meadows and check out this one from Perfect Trev up in Whistler cruising along the village stroll. Nice shot. Thanks Perfect Trev for that one. All right so this is your forecast for the next seven days. We are going to see a nice warm one tomorrow. A bit of a dip Thursday. Uh, we'll see a little bit more cloud Thursday. No rain, but a little bit more cloud. But then we rebound to nice warm weather over the weekend. There's your forecast for tomorrow across the north. We are expecting some rain across the north coast. Otherwise, inland the typical morning frost, morning fog, and beautiful sunshine in the afternoon. Mid-teens to upper teens across the south. And for our region, away from the water areas are expecting about 21 degrees degrees in Metro Vancouver. Cooler by the water, as is always the case with this type of a pattern. And as I said, Thursday and Friday, we will see a little bit more cloud and temperatures will dip a little bit. But late Friday, we really rebound and that takes us into the weekend with mainly sunny skies. And at this point, we are expecting sunshine for the next seven days. Uh, the iffy one would be Tuesday, but it looks like we'll hold for Tuesday also. And then we are going to see a change come Wednesday. That's when we could see a little bit of rain. But for now, plenty of time to get outside and enjoy you too. Spectacular, and what a view down at English Bay. Beautiful. Thanks very much, Christy.
Okay, the same robotics company that freaked some people out last week with video of its humanoid robot running an obstacle course is lightening things up considerably tonight. If we show up, we're gonna show up. Smoother than a fresh Oh, I thought that was twerking, but it's the other way around. It might, yeah, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll see the back end soon enough. A new video shows Boston Dynamics robotic dogs spot dancing to Uptown Funk with a host of pretty impressive moves like the two-step, even the running men, and, of course, the twerking. Mm-hmm. It's coming up. Might have just passed. I'm not oh, sure. We already go- oh, and what's that one called? You can do it. I know you can. That's the running man. The ro- the- is that the Roger Rabbit? That's the Roger Rabbit. Was that the Roger Rabbit? I think it's hard to Marcia tell knows. a robot. All does. I know is you are looking at the beginnings of the end of human civilization. Absolutely. It is. I'm telling it's you. all it's over. I'm telling you. When, when robot dogs can dance. When robot dogs can dance can and pretty soon it's Terminator time. It's exactly what's going to happen. Rhythm turning- is going to get you. Yeah. <laughs> what? What's going on? What? Well, we were just, we're, we're trying to unravel Squire's <laughs> syntax. Uh, in your script, but it's a good fingers. thing you wrote it. You know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. If, if anybody else had to read my script, it would sound like gibberish. I mean, it sort of sounds like gibberish when I say it, but it's a little more controlled. But at least you understand yeah. it. I understand it. That's the important thing. Uh, can the Canucks have a winning party without a 40? Guys in my old neighborhood would say no. <laughs> but sometimes after an injury to a star player, you will see a team bear down in the next game. And the Canucks came into this one against Pittsburgh, having won two straight over the Lightning and Panthers. And really, the main reason they won those two games was the great play of normally the backup, Anders Nilsson, who had a great start last year to the season as well. Let's go to Pittsburgh, where Adam Goddard had to get called up because of the injuries to Beagle and Patterson. Here we go. Whoops, mistake. Jake Gensel, first shot of the game is in. Oh, maybe Nilsson is going to fade back to the way he was at the end of last season. No! Don't worry, Travis Green, he won't. Ben Hutton. Ben Hutton scoring goals. Casey DeSmith, the uh, Penguins goalie, often is without a stick for some reason. He plays a little bit like Dominic Hoshek used to, although not as great as Hoshek, obviously. Oh, oh, wait for it. Kim Schaller with the puck. He sets up. Brandon Sutter. Oh, that's okay. I didn't even say it. I was Two one. I, 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 there was no rehearsal. So you're, you're, you know. But the sentiment was there. It's there. So there you go. Good pass by Shower. Big chance here by Granlin. Again, no stick. The Smith with the save. This would keep it. Two one. Third period. Penguins looking the tie. They get the tying goal. Again, Canucks. Kind of like the first goal. Pinching in. This costs them. Kessel, Carl Haglin, 2-2. They had some chances early, the Penguins did in overtime, but then Brock Besser got hold of the puck. Remember him? He's been kind of overshadowed by Pedersen, but he still has that shot, and that's a winner. 3-2. Three straight for the Canucks. Next up is Winnipeg on Thursday. This Friday, the Lions will have a win-and-you're-in scenario at BC Place. All they have to do is beat Edmonton, and they're in the playoffs. And they're in that position because they did something not many expected and not many have done in recent years, and that's beat the Stamps in Calgary. A winner, Lule, shocking team here, behind coverage, and what a catch, what a throw. Brian. 
Ian Burnham, how did he come up with that? The BC Lions are turning the impossible into the possible, as in a football team that was three and six at one point this season, and now finds itself a game away from clinching a playoff spot. This after BC went into Calgary and handed to Stampeders their first home field loss of the season. So really at the halfway point after the bye, we, we you know, we kind of recommitted and uh, made it a goal to give ourselves a chance in the second half. And, you know, we're obviously, we've, we're finding wins in games that we weren't able to early in the season. So, um, yeah, I think we're as, as playing as together as a full team, meaning all three phases as we have all season long. Fighting for a playoff spot and having not won in Calgary in some four years was plenty of incentive for the Lions. But general manager Ed Hervey conducted his own film session for his players prior to this game. He blocks that right, Hearns tries to come in with the uppercut, and Hagler ties him up with a minute to go in a wild first round. Herbie showed this classic bout between marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas the Hitman Hearns. No other message regarding X's and O's was necessary. It was right in front of them, loud and blow-by-blow blow clear. Man, we're fighters. I mean, that's really the type of team we are. Uh, you know, the guy keeps taking punches, keeps taking punches, but he keeps moving forward. And, uh, you know, he never wavers. And then you can see the look on the other guy's face. You know, he's tired. He's, his eyes are big. He's surprised. And the other guy's just focused. Um, and I feel like that's been us. We've taken the punches, but uh, we've stayed focused. There's been times where we could have folded up the tent and caught it a season, but we just kept pushing forward. And, you know, we're in a good position now. Good position indeed because a win at home Friday against Edmonton and BC locks up a playoff berth. Jay Janowar, Global Sports. Alfonso Davies signing autographs, meeting fans with Canada against Dominica, CONCACAF Nations League. And this is going to be an easy one for Canada because Dominica is way down the rankings below Canada. Alfonso Davies sets this one up for Jonathan David. Then Junior Hoylett's going to score here. And Canada won this by the score of 5-0. And how often can you say that when it comes to Canadian men's soccer? Astros fans are excited. Not for long. Steve Pierce, the former Blue Jay, is this one good? Is it? Is it? Yes. And someone misspelled chicken. And it's 3-2 for the Red Sox. And then bases loaded. And this by Jackie Bradley Jr. is the grandest of slams. And Boston leads the series two games to one. There you go. Well, fathers around the world are coming to the defense of James Bond, at least the actor who plays him, after a controversial shot from a British TV personality. It started with Pierce Morgan tweeting a picture of Daniel Craig carrying a baby in one of those baby Bjorn things and saying, O007, not you as well. Hashtag emasculated Bond. Well, that prompted fathers to post their own pictures carrying their babies and asserting that they don't feel emasculated. Even Captain America actor Chris Evans chimed in, saying, quote, you really have to be uncertain of your own masculinity to concern yourself with how another man carries his child. Morgan defended himself, saying it wasn't the baby he objected to, it was the papoose, which he called ridiculous. But it didn't help his cause. Isn't it just practical? It just feels practical. So practical. Carrying your child and being able to use both your hands exactly. to shop at Lordco or for power tools or, you know. <laughs> or just, or to text. Or to text. Well, right. Prince Harry 
I'm guessing, would wear a baby Bjorn. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, of course, visiting the Sydney Opera House today. That's right. Harry and Meghan thrilling thousands of fans during their first meeting with the general public since their big pregnancy announcement. Prince Harry and mom-to-be Meghan Markle cuddled up to koalas on their first full day in Australia and thrilled thousands of fans outside the Sydney Opera House just a day after the baby news broke. And we also generally couldn't think of a better place to announce uh, the, uh, the upcoming baby, be it a boy or a girl. So thank you very, very much. Australia's governor gave Harry and Meghan a toy kangaroo to celebrate the announcement. Queen Elizabeth serves as the head of state in Australia, and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex took their time meeting with the locals. 98-year-old Daphne Dunn had met Prince Harry on two of his other visits down under and was delighted to meet the love of his life this time. Oh, beautiful. Absolutely. They were lovely. Harry, how do you feel? you feel good? And this is exactly the kind of reception the royal couple was hoping for. You can see Prince Harry there, Meghan right behind me. They both look incredibly relaxed as they greet the thousands of people that have gathered here this morning. I just want to say congratulations and just wish them all the best. Supporters of the royal family hope the next generation of royals will help energize the monarchy, just like Princess Diana did decades ago. And people we spoke with said they were incredibly inspired by this royal couple, specifically with all the charity work they do, like raising awareness for mental health and the Invictus Games, which is being hosted here in Sydney later this week. John the Vigliotti, CBS News, Sydney, Australia. Can't wait for that picture of him and the baby Bjorn. We'll see if it happens. Christy, you had the best view of the sunset down there. Thanks for all your work. Good looking sunshine still Pretty to come. Yes, that's for sure. It certainly gets cold, though, as soon as the sun sets, but a nice one tomorrow. All right. She's wearing mittens. Thanks, Christy. And thank you for joining us. Enjoy the sunset, everyone. Good night.